You're listening to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. My dad has had big conversations with other people around the world and here in Geneva. He loves it and he's all crazy about it. Remember to have fun listening to it, the Rodolfo Rivas Project. Going back, I was external relations director. Then uh, I, I, uh, I moved. Uh, to create what is now the trade monitoring reports. Yeah. Uh, it was a time when the global financial crisis erupted uh, and the call from the G20 leaders on the WTO to monitor their commitment not to take protectionist measures. So they uh, asked the WTO secretariat to prepare these uh, quarterly reports on what they are doing and to report publicly. So a small group was established and I was uh, asked to, to lead this, uh, this, uh, this work, which I, which I did for a uh, few years. That was Willy Alfaro, Director of Vision and Strategy at the WTO in Geneva. I am Rodolfo Rivas, and this is my podcast. Welcome to it. Willy has been in Geneva and the WTO since the GATT days, and has had a vibrant experience across the WTO, serving in different capacities across various divisions. Everyone knows Willy. And this is because he is a very knowledgeable and friendly person who, in terms of the multilateral trading system, has seen it all. We discussed some influences in his decision to study at the University of Geneva, how he got involved in international trade, how the GATT has evolved into the WTO, and how the organization has changed. We also discussed some of the challenges ahead and how trade is part of the solution. It was a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. Subscribe! If you still need to, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Just after dawn, the morning's brighter. Start to walk, you'll find me on the road. Willie, uh, thank you for accepting my invitation. I'm really happy to talk to you today. Thank you, Rodolfo, for contacting me. It's a pleasure for me to uh, talk to you today. Uh, actually, I've been wanting to invite you for a while, and I was like, Let, let's do it now. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you... Let's start at the very beginning. Uh, where, where are you from originally? Uh, I am from uh, Bolivia, yeah. Bolivia uh, but now I've been living uh, in Switzerland for so long that I became also Swiss, Swiss. national. Okay. But uh, originally, I'm from Bolivia. And uh, how was growing up in Bolivia? Well, totally different from life in a, a modern <laughs> city, I would say. Okay. Uh, but full of uh, uh, new things to do, uh, really. Also, things that I spent my, my young life there in Bolivia, uh, studying at the school. Uh, but it's totally different, full of surprises. And I was living there at a time when uh, I would say life was not uh, easy. Okay. Uh, from all uh, angles, uh, be that from the economic point of view, but mostly from the uh, political point of view. Okay. There was a time when there was too much political uncertainty. Uh, I'm sure that you, you've heard about this period when uh, there were uh, military coups, uh, very frequent military coups. So that influenced life in general, uh, uncertainty uh, and also some sometimes risks as well. Did this was this uh, uncertainty that you were living through uh, the reason why you chose an international career? Um, 
partly yes, partly yes, because I, I will tell you the, the, the origins of, of my moving here. Uh, I finished school uh, in Bolivia, high school, uh, so obviously I started studying at the university. Uh, but a few months after uh, my start uh, of, 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 the, of the courses, a military coup uh, occurred. And normally there, um, what militaries do when they used to take power there, it was close uh, the School. university period. Yeah. So I was there <laughs> without a possibility of, of doing anything. So I tried to, to look for possibilities of studying elsewhere. So yes, uh, this uncertainty influenced somehow my decision to uh, try something outside uh, Bolivia, but partly also the, 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 the choice of subject. So what, what subject? What subject did you decide to pursue study? Well, I, I love mathematics. Ah. That's my passion. Okay. <laughs> I love mathematics. But at the same time, I, I, use, I, I was very interested in social science, the economics. Uh, the reason was that, uh, as I was telling you, at that time, there was a sequence of military coups in Bolivia. Political life was so uncertain. And there was not a single opportunity of a discussion about economics. Uh, what it would take to Bolivia to overcome its uh, status. Uh, Bolivia is a developing country, but many pockets of poverty. And at that time, there was no single discussion. So I had my passion with mathematics and my keen interest on economics. So I, I wanted to merge both. <laughs> and when I came to, to Geneva, I found the answer to, to my query, <laughs> which is econometrics. Okay. Studying econometrics, you do both uh, the mathematics and also uh, social science economics. Uh, it is a very intriguing <laughs> mixture, I would say, because you're mixing a, a, a scientific branch, very precise approach, mathematics, statistics, with something that is less uh, precise. Uh, economics based on hypotheses, modeling, trying to reflect in a <laughs> uh, summary way how people would react, uh, rational expectations. So mixture of uh, precise science and the other less precise, uh, but it was a passionate uh, experience for me, a learning experience. I mean, when you were say, when you were talking about this, and this is something that I tell people often, and maybe it's not, maybe you can relate because when I feel that in Latin America, I compare uh, life there as a video game in the hardest level. Like we have to go through life, and there's obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and we just get used to living with it. Like we assume that it's. This is life. This is what we. This is what we have to live with. That's totally true. You have to be prepared to adapt to the unpredictable, day by day, <laughs> day yeah. by day. So I wouldn't say it's a question of uh, daily survival. Yeah. But it's almost uh, in that sense. I mean, uh, it's it's not as predictable uh, way of living as it can be in in modern uh, societies. I, I I mean I mentioned Latin America and. I'm, it's not exclusive to Latin America, but in that sense, like, I, I feel a connection to what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but yet, you see people uh, living there and, and people progressing there. No, so and, the, and, actually, and the situation is improving, yeah, I must admit. And yeah. it's true, and I think that out of this struggle, a lot of good things come out. Uh, and it's something that I, especially living in, in Rosie, Geneva, that you don't see, because there 
there's probably struggle, but there's not that kind of struggle as in Latin America. You don't see the opportunity for people to overcome those. You don't see... Mm. I, I don't know what it does to human character, to human nature, mm. but it does forge uh, something. Yes, this is correct. In difficult circumstances, uh, you have to do the extra effort to, uh, to move up. Uh, and when you live in conditions where everything is uh, fine, this uh, necessity to do the additional effort is not there. Yeah. While in societies where you have uh, real problems, day-to-day -day problems, you have to be alert and you have to adapt and you have to do extra efforts. And I, I am seeing this uh, when I go back to my home country, Bolivia, time to time. I see uh, great initiatives, uh, not everywhere, but there are people who are absorbing and adapting new technologies and uh, making use of this to, to enhance living conditions. Uh, so as I was telling you in the past, at the time when I was living there, there was too much uncertainty, difficult situations because of political instability, military coups, things have changed now. We have a democracy, there's a democracy. People may accept it or not, but there is at least a democracy there from that point of view. And there's also some efforts uh, of injecting innovation into economic life in, in Bolivia. So you going back to what you were saying, did you leave uh, Bolivia to come directly here to Geneva? Uh, yes, yes, so why, yes. <laughs> why what places Geneva? <laughs> well, uh, uh, as I told you, I was in a period when I couldn't go to the university because the university was closed and I started looking for options. Uh, Obviously, coming to Europe was uh, very expensive. It's still expensive, but I was lucky and to obtain a scholarship. Mm. I got a private scholarship, uh, a foundation based in Switzerland, uh, who uh, um, finances uh, students, young Bolivian students, to come to Switzerland to, to do the uh, university studies. So I applied to this uh, program and I was uh, lucky enough to obtain one of the <laughs> one of the posts, and that's how I ended up here in Geneva. Ah, uh, you were here alone or with your family? Alone, alone. I, I, I came alone. So, so uh, how was that? Uh, was it a big shock for you? To huge, huge <laughs> shock. Because uh, uh, getting out of Bolivia at a very young age, uh, 19 years old, alone, coming here, uh, it was a different, but also uh, at that age, you adapt. You adapt very easily. So, uh, and I had a determination in my mind, saying this is my uh, only opportunity to do something, mm. uh, given the circumstances in Bolivia and the the great opportunity of this scholarship. So I said, despite the uh, changes in in my uh, living conditions, uh, without a family and so on. I said I had to, to, to succeed, so uh, I had a <laughs> determination to do that. But all, as I said, at, at 19 years, uh, young people adapt everywhere. Yeah, no, it's true. But there's also, I've read somewhere, I don't know if it's true, but that usually people who leave their home country, their brain is wired a bit differently. Because not everyone has like that, that uh, will or even like, they don't even like uh, the intention of leaving. Uh, you have to have something different. Yes, and it, it forges you a different personality because staying where you are, you remain in your comfort zone. Yeah. You have your parents, you have your uh, friends, uh, everything is around you is stable. 
when you go outside, you need to adapt to things. You need to make new friends, you need to adapt to new society. And society in, in Switzerland or in Europe is different from Bolivia. Yeah, very different, especially <laughs> uh, you, here. Yeah. You, you may know uh, this spontaneity that we have in Latin America is not present here, but one has to adapt. So, uh, as you said, yes, when you exit your comfort zone, you need to forge a certain personality to be able to, to adapt. To and, that, and that's conditions. the only way that you can grow. Yes, yes. <laughs> so how was going uh, to university here in Geneva? It was the University of Geneva? University of Geneva. Uh, it was extremely interesting and challenging. It was uh, in First English? of all, uh, French. French? Ah, it sorry. was in French. Yeah. So I had to learn French uh, in a very short period of time. Uh, I was studying French uh, mornings afternoons and evenings yeah, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to uh, get admission to the university. So I entered there and uh, it was uh, challenging because I had to pay extra attention to the courses compared to my uh, school <laughs> friends, French speaking they, they were, uh, because of the language uh, barrier. But I think that that forced me to, to work double and uh, to uh, to be better prepared. So it was, it was good. And uh, there was a difference in terms of uh, uh, learning, I would say. I was coming from Bolivia where the learning system was different. The learning system at the school where I went in Bolivia was uh, memory-based. Yeah. Which yeah, means that, <laughs> that means that the professor at the school tells you what you have to understand and remind and memorize. That's it. That you just write down and then you memorize sometimes by heart, and you're a good student. Yeah. Here at the university, it was different. And I could see with my, uh, my friends at school, uh, I was the only one probably taking notes, writing everything what the professor was saying. My friends, they were not writing. They were just listening, thinking, and questioning, and questioning. That's something I learned. I said, and and I, I told them, why are you not taking notes? <laughs> they said, no, no, no. Am I doing it right? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, no, no. They were asking questions to the professor, contradicting what the professor was saying. And this is part of the, of the how the, 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 the instruction is done. So, so it, it was, it was like good. A bit it was more good. like the Socratic method, like a, a dialogue and a discussion. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, it was a good learning experience for me. I, I adapted to that uh, ability to question principles or... Uh, because in the area of economics, uh, professors come and tell you the, how the market works. Uh, two goods and then <laughs> price, uh, the production, consumption, demand. And you have to question why. Yeah. Why is it? What, so that helps you understand the, the, the assumptions you put in the economic models to see how correct or how close to reality these assumptions could, could be. If you just listen what is there, then okay, you, you repeat what the textbooks uh, say, which may not be good uh, in today's world. Yeah, it's true. And I think that that's, uh, that's common in Latin American countries. When I went to law school, it was about that. We would have to memorize the articles of a law that maybe like in two years will not be the actual <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and it, and yeah. when I went to other countries to study law, it was more about the policy. Is this actually a good law or should we change yeah. it? Like, uh, what do you think? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's similar to what mm. you're saying, uh, that uh, the theories, you have to question them. Like, do they apply in reality? Does it work? Exactly. And to question, uh, and that questioning helps you understand 
uh, what is behind the, the theories. Uh, just memorizing them is repeating what is in the theory, but you don't understand what is behind there. And maybe you also, did you feel that you bring a new perspective, that you brought a new perspective to the discussion based on your background, that perhaps your <coughs> fellow well, classmates didn't have? Well, was my mathematical approach. I was, uh, <laughs> I was very, very, I'm still very fond of mathematics. So I was trying to, to uh, use this logic reasoning, because mathematics is a lot of logic, yeah. logic uh, and Cartesian approach, I would say. So everything is very structured. So this approach together with the questioning of the theories somehow merge. And we had very interesting discussions in the, uh, at the university. Not at the beginning, the first years, but towards the end, it was more like uh, brainstormings, I would say. Now we call this session brainstorming where everyone comes with ideas. But we, we were, uh, the last, last year I remember, even the professors were very happy to have this uh, discussion about this instead of simply teaching uh, theory. Yeah. And um, at what point, so you finish your studies? And were, did you work at any point during the, your studies or did yes. some research? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I did my postgraduate degree uh, in uh, econometrics again. Uh, and after that, I was uh, embarking on my PhD, middle, ah. middle of the PhD uh, program. And I was, before that, I was offered by the university to work uh, there as a teaching assistant and then as a research assistant. So I was uh, giving lessons, uh, mathematics, statistical methods for social science and so on. So, so I was it, it was like back, back to back? After you finished your studies, you continued studying? Yes, 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 yes. Was uh, your intention uh, to be a professor at that point? At that point, yes, because my intention was to, uh, to do this PhD and uh, remain in the academic world. Mm. Uh, to, to continue this uh, spreading of knowledge. To, to say. So that was the, 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 the right line. Uh, obviously, also behind my mind was a possibility of going back to Bolivia to uh, share with Bolivians my, my, uh, my knowledge or skills that I could have uh, learned in, at, at the university. So it was, uh, uh, and the Geneva University had a program where you could uh, work as a teaching and researcher assistant and continue your PhD. So that's what you were doing, and what did you focus on when you were doing your PhD? Uh, PhD, it was uh, more about uh, uh, econometric modeling. Uh, I, I was confronted with uh, equations, regression, trying to put in a form how the economy functions, based on collection of data. Uh, but then uh, there were some times where the data is not linear. It's not a nicely <laughs> shaped collection of data. There, there are outliers. Yeah. Uh, extremely uh, maximum data or extremely low. And these outliers can influence the way you uh, predict something. So uh, we were working on, on finding methods that could uh, reduce the influence of these extreme okay. values okay. when you're doing regression, when you're running econometric regression. So I was working in, in, that, in that area. Obviously applying to, uh, and that's probably how I ended up here, to trade data. Okay, and why trade? <laughs> trade because... You just, because there was a collection of data that you saw? No, because my, uh, my professor, uh, with whom I was doing this, uh, used to work at UNCTAD. Okay. UNCTAD. So, and he, he had this project of analyzing trade data. 
so the, 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 that data uh, was there. And so he invited me to work on, the, on those uh, numbers. So uh, that's, that's why I, I use uh, trade. But that, uh, that research that you were doing can pretty much apply to anything that has like outliers. Exactly, because uh, a friend of mine who was also a research assistant at the time, uh, using the same m method, he was working with uh, medical data. Uh, as you say, is to try to find and uh, estimate the future. Uh, to estimate the future, you have to build a, a, a model. Uh, and, and he was using this, uh, applying with, uh, working with the uh, um, Geneva Cantonal Hospital. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to do this, the same, the same reasoning, but applied to <clears throat> medical data. And um, when, so this was like your way into trade, like uh, what happened next? <laughs> <laughs> the next was uh, an invitation by uh, uh, one international organization, the International Trade Center. Yeah. Uh, they do work with uh, private companies, uh, helping them uh, do trade, yeah. export or import. Uh, and they were collecting data, trade data from customs, and they wanted to have some, uh, somebody to help them analyze this data. So they approached the Geneva University and they found that I was working in this field. They invited me to work uh, as a consultant. So I went there uh, and that's when my perspective changed. <laughs> oh, because I, I realized that that was the real world. What I was doing myself is theory. Is theory, concept. At the university, I could have developed a very nice model, uh, probably could have uh, written a couple of papers to be published here and there. And I mean, the, my first experience in ITC showed me that there's uh, a real world outside. <laughs> uh, because we were uh, liaising with chambers of commerce, private sector companies that they were exporting and looking for market opportunities. Uh, so I started working there and I would say I got contaminated <laughs> with the international system and I developed a keen interest. And that's when I, I decided, I say, okay, uh, I, I want I to do be. that. <laughs> But um, what about teaching? I regretted a lot. I was not able to do that anymore because the, the university told me at one point in time, do you stay with us or not? <laughs> And I, I took a risk because in life sometimes you have to take risks. I yeah, say sorry. <laughs> no, I would. You're used to taking risks already. <laughs> yeah. About that point. Yes, uh, I, even because at the International Trade Center I had only a short-term consultant uh, contract, while at the university it was longer term. But I said no, I take the risk, and I took the risk. Uh, kept on having short-term extensions until a vacant post was announced here at the here at the uh, GAT. And the the guy, of the guy. Okay. So I applied and uh, I, I got a post. So that that was uh, and since I <laughs> entered the GAT, I I stayed here. So you you are also one of the people who have been involved here in the secretariat for the longest. Yes, yes, indeed. In uh, October, uh, it will be 33 years working here. So you've seen that pretty much, like everything that happened. <laughs> I, yes, I'm probably one of the last remaining dinosaurs <laughs> of this house. And I, I am lucky again because I was able to observe the change of, uh, of the institution. How, I'm interested in this, how can you 
can you look at some things that have have changed in the WTO since those days until now? Oh yes, yes, radical changes, radical changes. Uh, oh, first an anecdote. Uh, I when I joined uh, the GATT, I I was very happy to tell my friends at the university, look, I did the right choice. I joined the GATT, and they some of them asked me. What is the gut? <laughs> in Geneva, huh? <laughs> and we are in Geneva. And uh, just to tell you that at that time, GUT was a very technical institution, uh, known probably only to the experts. <laughs> or, and now we've turned into WTO, and everybody knows the WTO, for good or bad, but everybody knows it. So that shows the change in <clears throat> the nature of a... Uh, technical organization basically dealing with tariffs, trading goods, to an organization that is uh, meant to handle uh, much more complex issues. And that's the, the, the issues that the WTO has to handle are much complex. Uh, and sometimes they, uh, these issues involve uh, societal choices, which make it even harder so this is a big change. Uh, another significant change is the membership. The membership has expanded so much, uh, which is good uh, if we are supposed to, to be a, a, an international organization, a world trade organization, but that also brings uh, other uh, issues to be considered for the functioning of the, of the system. Uh, and not to talk the, the, the thing that uh, the dynamics have also changed, uh, and more so, uh, I would say, recently, over the past 20 years or so, uh, things have become a bit more uh, difficult. Uh, but it's the nature of things, because the world itself has changed. <laughs> so the, the, the way trade is uh, conducted now is totally different from how trade was conducted 30 years ago. When I joined the, the system, our preoccupation was only about tariffs, import quotas, import prohibitions, maybe licenses and customs valuation. Because when I joined, I joined the, at the time when the trade policy review mechanism was established. The first reviews, I was in charge of the first reviews, and that was our area of interest. Tariffs, what levels, are there import prohibitions, are there import licensing, ah, that's it. Now, if you look, the, the breadth of coverage of, of this interest is much, much wider. So uh, a significant change. And it's uh, it's so so wide that uh, I've been working in trade for not as long as you, <laughs> but for some years. And I, 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 there's many things about trade that I don't know. I, because if you work in trade, you specialize in a couple of things. Have, and that's to. what you know. And mm -hmm. there's other areas that, I mean, I've heard them, I, I've read about them, but I, it's impossible to specialize, it's just too mm. difficult. Even for us in the WTO, and in particular, probably the trade policy review area is where you are exposed to all yeah. issues. Um, but uh, we cannot say that we know these issues. We understand the issues. Yeah. We understand. That's a key. We understand to be able to, to describe them, to put them on, on paper. But knowledge comes only with expertise. You have to spend uh, years. If you want to, to deeply know the, the economics behind the protection of intellectual property rights, you have to be an expert. You can understand the broad elements, but you have to, to, to become a real expert. So, and there is uh, this uh, element of, 
of the values of, of this of the secretariat now uh, i would say what is the value of the wto secretariat to the members and i think i am of the view that there are two key elements the first one is uh, expert knowledge expertise we have to be able to advise our members on any issue they want to get an advice so uh, we have to have this expertise and the second one is our impartiality uh, members need to be sure that whatever advice we give them is impartial that we are not representing any of our members we are representing all of our members so these are the two values that we have to to exploit uh, i mean members come to us because of these two elements and uh, it is important what you said about how it's expanding because you said advice on on any issue this also includes issues that are not traditionally dealt with them and issues that you don't know where they're going to come uh, next how do how do you prepare how is the secretariat prepared to deal with these issues that maybe are not are not uh, have not traditionally been dealt from the trade perspective. Uh, <clears throat> yes, and that's something that I'm looking at this moment um, because uh, since three months ago, uh, the director general asked me to lead a new project, which is to uh, think about the strategy of, of the secretariat. What are we supposed to do? Uh, we need to to evolve in terms of secretariat. We need to adapt to the new realities. Uh, and we have developed a concept uh, of different pillars that will support our work, that will support our service to the members. And one of the pillars is about um, becoming a knowledge hub. And that's where uh, this concept of uh, being ready to know and understand new issues. We have to be, have, of course, the expertise on the traditional issues subject to the WTO agreements, we have them because we work on a day-to-day -day basis in the committees or, or somewhere. Now, issues that are coming in front of us, we cannot stop them, we cannot ignore them, yeah. but we have to be able to develop our skills. Uh, to do that, uh, of course, we don't pretend to be experts on everything. We have to draw on other international organizations, and that's another pillar. Uh, the Secretariat has to be an engaged partner, a global partner. Uh, if we are talking about issues related to climate change, for example, there are other international organizations, UN agencies that uh, have expertise, so we have to work in close with them. So this is the idea of building our uh, knowledge and skills to be able to uh, disseminate them, but to create this knowledge Uh, in some areas we can create ourselves, but in most of them we need to work in tandem with other organizations. And that's how, and that's why probably, uh, most of our uh, recent reports are done jointly with other organizations, either with World Bank, OECD, or ILO, and uh, other UN agencies. Because we need to join forces, because most of the issues that we have to know are global. Uh, it's not just purely trade. It's trade and trade and trade and climate change, trade and uh, um, electronic commerce. Uh, I don't know. This is something that uh, it's good that you point out because I've I've been seeing and I don't know if other people outside have been seeing, but this is so there was a conscious change, a conscious decision to make this change, was it? Because now there's all these reports working jointly with other organizations that provide a wealth of knowledge that uh, are very useful to 
to members in policy discussions, in policy decisions. But this was a conscious choice. Exactly. And, but there was no other choice. We, we could not uh, be outside of the... You know, uh, in the area of climate change, for example, uh, a few years ago, trade was considered as a contributing factor to climate degradation. Uh, but working with uh, other organizations, we overcome this perception, and we hope that at one point in time, trade will be recognized as part of the solution. It's not the only solution, but it's part of the solution to mitigate climate change. Uh, so it is a conscious cho choice, uh, a realization that uh, we have to work in uh, cooperation with uh, other organizations. Uh, we are contributing our part of the, of the work in terms of uh, providing rules, uh, sometimes even uh, providing a forum because we cannot forget that uh, the WTO has, uh, has uh, gained in relevance or notoriety, I would say, and we have this uh, convening power, or at least our Director General has this convening power. I don't know if you, I'm sure that you, you, you notice uh, in the context of the global pandemic, uh, the world was confronted uh, with the issue of uh, global supply chains. Uh, there were a problem there. So we provided the forum for uh, actors to come, private sector, governments, uh, shipping companies, uh, to come together and to discuss these issues. So it's not that the WTO found a solution, but we provided a forum for the discussion about these issues. Uh, 10, 20 years ago, one would have said, but what the WTO has to do with these problems? <laughs> WTO has to deal only with uh, the agreements established under the Marrakesh uh, Agreement. But now it's a realization that um, the world is, is, is different. And, uh, well, this is, we can come back to this, and I, I want to come mm -hmm. back and hear a bit more of your thoughts on this. But I, I'm also interested in seeing, so you mentioned that you work at the Trade Policy Review Mechanism. Was that, was that uh, because you, before this position, you were the director of the... Mm -hmm. Was that where you built your career or you were also no. doing other things? After ITC, International Trade Center, I joined uh, the Trade Policy Division when it was established in yeah. 1989 uh, to do the first uh, Trade Policy Review reports. So I joined as a junior economic affairs officer. Then I moved to, uh, with the years and experience, to uh, Trade Policy Analyst, becoming a bit more. And then I moved into more senior positions. Uh, I have uh, worked twice in the uh, Office of Director Generals, which gave me this uh, overall view of what the Secretariat or the WTO is supposed to do, twice. Yeah, because uh, when, when you work in one area, like you said, you focus on what you, on you, on on what you know, what you do. And did this experience at the Director's Office gave you like, okay, like I see where the connections happen and where... Every, everything, oh yes, no, no, it was a huge enriching experience. Of course, extremely tiring. I worked in the office of uh, Renato Ruggiero, yeah. one of the first directors, and then I was called back again to work in the office of Dr. Supechai. Uh, so th this was very, very valuable experience. But then after that, I, I also became director first of uh, External Relations Division, Oh, okay. uh, in charge of uh, handling our relations with the UN system, parliamentarians, and civil society. 
So, uh, so that's a bit of what you what you're doing also, like thinking about now. Going back, yes, yeah. yes, and and I'm using this experience. Realization of uh, what we are doing here affects uh, not only uh, exporters or importers, affect the society at large. So, what are some of the differences that you see of when you were in that role before, or some of the things that you think that we should be doing now in that specific? Uh, well, two, two elements, uh, interaction with the UN system, at the time when I was director, it was a very timid approach. Timid approach because we, were not, we are not part of the UN system. Yeah. The WTO is not part of this. It's an associated organization, but we still participate as observers or some of the uh, senior uh, meetings. Uh, so it was a timid uh, participation, mostly in terms of providing information, what we do and, and so on. Now, is, is real interaction because of the issues that interconnected, interrelated. So it is, it is a, a very different, different interaction w w with them. On the civil society front, uh, of course, the private sector, uh, they were very much interested in what we were doing, and that's leading to, to, to the end of the Uruguay round and the establishment of the WTO, the first years of the WTO. In the process, they lost a bit of interest because of the uh, pace at which WTO can reach agreements. They lost interest, but now they are regaining this interest because our capacity to help them in times of crisis. WTO provided them a lot of help in terms of crisis. So private sector is gaining interest. NGOs, there was a huge interest at that time because uh, it was... Uh, the establishment of the WTO occurred at a time when globalization was increasing, yeah. or the perception of the people of globalization was increasing, and the WTO was up. So NGOs very much interested saying the WTO is creating globalization. So we were the target of all <laughs> ills that NGOs were uh, considering at that time, or the society was suffering. Remember the meetings, the ministerial meetings we, we, we had in Seattle, yeah, in Cancun. Seattle. Even in Geneva, where there were huge demonstrations and, uh, and so on, the civil society was very active against us. Now, uh, we don't see that anymore. Yeah, they do participate, but they participate constructively, with ideas and so on. Uh, the reasons, I don't know, but certainly us, we decided to open ourselves. Uh, when I was director of uh, external relations, that's the beginning of... Uh, what we have now, the public forum. At the time, it was called public symposium. A very small uh, one day or something, two days meetings where a few participants. Now the public forum is a huge thing. Yeah, so it's, com <laughs> it's coming up. It's no? coming like in September. A, in, sep in September? Yeah, in September. So changes, yes, a lot. Yeah, the public forum, I remember even when I started, it has grown significantly. Like it's a full week yeah. of... Now the problem is that maybe it's too big. Like if I want it to is. see a couple of sessions, I cannot, I cannot yeah. split into ten. No, no, no. <laughs> but but the discussion is very good, and what you said about the interest, I do see it growing. When I started working with WTO, like my colleagues, my friends, who are professional mm -hmm. and maybe they should know about mm -hmm. the WTO, they didn't even know about the WTO. Now everyone knows about the WTO. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. at least they know what uh, a bit of. Maybe they don't know mm -hmm. the details, but a bit because they of know the, that we the openness. Exist and yeah. Then, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that's good because it shows uh, interest in the work that mm -hmm. we're doing and maybe opens up collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm. And uh, so then after your stint at uh, external relations? Oh yes, going back. <laughs> I was external relations director, then uh, I, I, uh, I moved uh, to create what is now the trade monitoring reports. Yeah. Uh, it was the time when the global financial crisis erupted uh, and the call from the G20 leaders on the WTO to monitor their commitment not to take protectionist measures. So they uh, asked the uh, WTO Secretariat to prepare these uh, quarterly reports on what they are doing and to report publicly. So a small group was established and I was uh, asked to, to lead this, uh, this, uh, this work, which I, which I did for a uh, few years. And then I, I moved to... Uh, which then this became like really useful during the pandemic. Oh yes, oh yes, they, they became, uh, again, it has evolved, it yeah. has grown to what it is now. At the beginning it was a, a, a very, uh, I would say, small uh, report, just listing the, the, the actions that G20 economies were doing, but we moved a little bit into more describing, analyzing, and, and it became now what it is, uh, this, this report. And then I was asked to go and <clears throat> temporarily be director of trade and environment division. Okay. Uh, that was a, that's now a big, big topic. <laughs> it is a big topic, yeah. A uh, big topic and uh, I was very happy to have uh, good people in this division because it's a new subject, it was a new subject for me, but I could rely on the expertise of senior uh, staff in that, in that division. Uh, and after that, I, um, I applied for the position of director in Trade Policy Division and I got it. Which was where you started. So <laughs> I came back. Like full circle. <laughs> yes. Full circle, yes. <laughs> but I, I, I think that the reason why I don't know if you can tell me about this, but the reason why the director general asked you to oversee this strategy and vision is because you've seen the WTO from many different yes. perspectives. Yes. So you, uh, and also from from its inception. <coughs> exactly. Also, this uh, this uh, uh, knowledge of different areas of the work uh, in, in the secretariat and 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 my probably my state twice in the DG's office uh, gave, gave me also uh, some, some perspective, different perspective uh, that uh, the one that you would have if you stayed in one single division. When you work in a sing one division throughout all your career, you do an excellent work, but you think about just that division. <laughs> uh, when you're outside and then you see all of them, you see that there are other factors to take into account uh, as well. And uh, now that you're working on this, how I mean, maybe you already talked a bit about this, but how do you see the next uh, five, ten years of the WTO in terms of its work? Now, <clears throat> the, the, the work that the Director General asked me to do, uh, which is to uh, define a vision for the Secretariat, a mission, and the strategic pillars of our work, is for the Secretariat. It's not for the organization, it is not for the members, because this is something that only members can decide. This is for the Secretariat. And why are we doing this? Is that we want to be better prepared, better structured, to better serve members. Because that is our uh, actual mandate, if you want. We are a Secretariat, we have to help members function. 
in all the areas that they are supposed to function, either handling regular committees, negotiations, solving disputes, whatever. But to do that, we want to be better prepared because there are many changes in the, in the world that will affect the organization and, of course, the secretariat. Uh, I briefly referred to some of these uh, important changes that will affect the, the, <laughs> the environment under which we secretariat work or the WTO functions uh, is the emergence of these global issues. Uh, climate change, the first, uh, first one. Uh, new technology, artificial intelligence is coming. So somehow this in the coming years will, will affect the way we function and we have to be prepared as a secretariat. Uh, for example, we have to use the technology, new technology, to be able to deliver on the request of the members, uh, given our resource constraints. So we have to use better the technology to move, to move ahead. Now, there are new global challenges. I said global um, climate change, I said the uh, emergence of uh, new issues, technology, uh, but there are also others like uh, geopolitical tensions. Yeah. I don't think they will disappear soon, uh, and this will affect somehow the, the, the world community uh, with the impact it has on food security, on poverty that still is around. So this this uh, this will be now. That is the global the global view. Um, internally, also we have some some big uh, challenges, uh, which is. I believe, and that's my personal view, there is an increasing level of mistrust among members. Uh, there's something that it was not there at the time when I joined. Yeah, at the time <laughs> when you, when you <laughs> first joined Dagat, there was like a, a growing global interest of, of internal, internalization, I don't know. Uh, at that time, all participants knew that there was a, a common sense of purpose. Yeah. They all understood that uh, trade uh, generated economic growth, that trade could be used to enhance living conditions. And if it is liberalized trade, it would be better. If it is under multilateral ag agreed rules, mm -hmm. perfect. So, and all participants uh, understood these things. Uh, this day, I don't think this is the and case this anymore. Was, this was not something that happened like overnight. It was something no. that happened like gradually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think there's a single factor. There's a multitude of uh, different factors. Uh, some people say the WTO in membership increased. Now we have a diverse type of members, some of them big, small, that changed completely the nature. Uh, others say that probably the, the, the distribution of the benefits of trade were not looked after uh, with the result that uh, in every society there are people who are suffering from trade. and So a multitude of factors that uh, are there that I don't think they, 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 be, they believe in uh, open trade under multilateral rules is, is there. It's not that they are rejecting because I don't think there is an alternative to our system. There's no alternative so far. Maybe there will be in the future, but so far there's no alternative. But then this is um, this, this uh, loss of uh, 
trust. Trust among members yeah. and also, uh, I would say, less conviction of, of the benefits of uh, liberalized trade. And also some of the challenges that you were talking about are challenges that no member, even the biggest, stronger member can do on their own. No. It's no. something that no. requires no. the collective uh, society to address. Yeah, and it's difficult. I mean, <laughs> to bring the, the all all nations uh, into one decision is, is I becoming always, even I more and more difficult. even say that, like, at home, it's difficult to agree what we're having for dinner. And we're four people. <laughs> Imagine 165, are we? Yes, with different interests. Yeah. Different interests. At least at home, the only interest is to be fed <laughs> <laughs> or to have a good food. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, that's something that I... I I think that we many do not understand that having an agreement amongst uh, so many members with so, with different views and different interests is is difficult. Yeah, and and that's where uh, we see the secretariat having a role, uh, and our director general is playing this uh, this role at full. I mean, last ministerial conference uh, we consider a big success. Uh, Partly uh, thanks to her tenacity. Yeah. Uh, so I, I see that the secretariat can can play this this role. But for that we need these two basic uh, elements: expertise and impartiality. Expertise and impartiality. Expertise we can work ourselves, study hard, and bring expertise from. Impartiality we have to be able to. Uh, make things so that members uh, trust us, our impartiality. And I, I do agree with what you say about uh, the DG. I think that she pretty much like willed into relevance the WTO again. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By her yeah, tenacity. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and her presence everywhere. So, uh, and she, uh, she's a, a motivating personality for all of us, I would say. So that's a positive element. Well, uh, I now... Thank you for this uh, discussion. Now there's a new section in the in the podcast with the idea is to have a couple of questions and to hear your their quick questions and to hear like your reaction. Yeah. 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 I mean, you don't have to give one word, you can <laughs> elaborate a bit more, yeah. but the idea is to reply what first comes to to mind. I will try. Ready? I will try. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever gotten? Look for uh, excellence, always. Whatever you do, uh, look for excellence. Be that in studies, day-to-day -day work, or whatever, looks to try to do better, always. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? Uh, difficult question, but I, when I was a kid, I always dreamt about archaeology. Really? Uh, <laughs> like <laughs> Indiana find? Jones? Find, yes, <laughs> there were no Indiana Jones at that time, but uh, to find things uh, that are not yet discovered. Good. Uh, what's something that you wish you had known 20 years ago? Uh, the need to master uh, other languages, because it was a barrier uh, for me when I started uh, studying. I was able to overcome somehow, but. Uh, it's something that uh, kids need to know 
your own language, even if it is English, is not enough. Yeah. In today's world, is uh, you need to know more than uh, one language. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever given? Uh, recently, to my colleagues here, uh, don't be afraid of uh, taking risk and uh, embrace mobility in work. Uh, the easiest, more comfortable thing is to stay in your job forever. But it's not where you will grow and you will get more uh, professional satisfaction. So mobility and take risk. And I think that you've, you've, you are saying it, but you've also done yeah, it. Because I, <laughs> I benefited from that. Uh, pineapple in pizza? Uh, pineapple. Yes? <laughs> okay. Uh, drama or comedy? Uh, comedy. Who is your favorite artist of all time? Andy Warhol. Ah, great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, not so much advice, but if you can recommend one thing you enjoy, what is it? Uh, mix your job with uh, sports. I'm I'm very uh, fan of sports because it, it gives you this balance. To uh, uh, at the end of the day, you don't feel tired because if you've done both things. What what sport do you practice? Or tennis. Tennis. Ah, okay. And uh, tennis is now like. Uh, It was very big a few days ago because of the, was it Wimbledon? Wimbledon. Wimbledon. Yeah. <laughs> um, how would you like to be remembered? Having contributed a little bit to uh, enhancing uh, something, uh, either in work or in life. In work, is uh, contributed to making uh, maybe the, the, the working environment of everybody better. Adopting new technology or learning new things, always learning uh, something. Uh, in life, uh, is permitting somebody else to have a better life and not always uh, part of your family. Yeah, spreading, spreading it as much as possible. <laughs> well, Willy, thank you very much. It has been a pleasure talking to you and thank you for your insights. Thank you very much, uh, Rodolfo, and thanks for inviting me. This was the Rodolfo Rivas Project. I hope you loved it. Can you dig it?